Hello, welcome to Lucas on Life. I'm Jeff Lucas. I've been asking listeners to email me with suggestions about themes for future programs, and I'm grateful for the response. If you've got an idea about something you'd like me to talk about, why don't you email me at lucasonlife at premier.org.uk. I'd love to hear from you. Well, for regular listeners, this is part two of us thinking about disagreement. How do we disagree agreeably? So often we exchange sound bites. We don't actually debate issues. We don't discover a new perspective or understanding. We just lob thoughts of 140 characters or less. And then when we disagree, if we're not careful, we can smear those that we disagree with, caricaturing them, attacking the person rather than thoughtfully interrogating the issue. Sometimes we throw our sound bites and our smears around and then we just run. We withdraw. We leave that church because they don't agree with us. Other Christians affirm, well, I just believe what the Bible says, as if that's a sticking plaster that we can put on every wound. The truth is that the Bible takes serious interpretation. If you're not sure about that, consider the fact that if you just take the Bible literally, you might take your wayward son out and stone him as the Old Testament commands. By the way, rather obviously, I'm not advocating that. And then there are those who turn minors into majors. They get upset about small things that really don't matter. Just recently, preaching at a church in London, I was rebuked and told that I was not a Christian because I'd quoted from Eugene Peterson's The Message Bible. Wow. We need to stop shouting and start listening more and know what it means to disagree agreeably. Golfing has never been a favorite hobby of mine, And it's not just because I'm rubbish at it. Mine is not a swing, more a spasm. And it's not that I think it's pointless to spend all day trying to use a stick to nudge a ball into a hole, or even more tiringly, 18 consecutive holes while avoiding sand pits. Most sports involve doing useless things expertly and in the shortest time possible. So that's not the reason for my golf loathing. No, the roots of my disdain are to be found in my early childhood. My trauma is superficial. My mother didn't run off in an electric cart with a chap who was wearing check trousers. Rather, my aversion is due to a rather painful collision between me and a golf ball. While camping with my family on the side of a golf course, I must get round to asking why we did that, I was walking between the tee and the green when the white cannonball struck. I'm too gentlemanly to specifically describe the area of my body that took the hit, but let's just say the arrival of our first child was greeted with great joy and relief. It was a shot below the belt, literally. And I've taken a few more direct hits since, because I've been involved in church leadership. Being passionate people, blessed with opinions, sometimes we Christians, yes, as we've been saying, we disagree— And sometimes we squabble. Again, disagreement is inevitable and it's healthy. It is proof that we are not part of a cult, which is good because I look horrid in orange. 
but we should disagree agreeably and commit to fight fairly. I've witnessed a few bare-knuckle cage fights where the saints have gone marching in with hobnail boots. We fight dirty when we make impossible demands that can never be met, as did the lady who insisted that our church wasn't loving enough, a charge that was difficult to evaluate because there's no measuring instrument to evaluate how loving a church is. That instrument is not available. And even if we did get a bad reading on the non-existent loveometer, what was I to do about it as the church leader? I can hardly sprinkle Lucas's secret lovey-dovey dust over the congregation while they're not looking. Another kidney punch is the accusation that the teaching, well, it's just not deep enough. What exactly is deep preaching? Does deep mean that Tom Wright has often been quoted, an ancient Mesopotamian tablet has been flashed up on PowerPoint, and the sermon has been sprinkled with a few Greek words other than kebab? Some Christians seem to think that deep teaching happens when they don't understand what on earth the preacher is talking about, as if their confusion is a sign that they are truly connecting with the transcendental. On the other hand, if a complicated idea is presented clearly, they're tempted to believe that the content is lightweight and the speaker is lightweight too. Thus, the better teacher you are, the more likely you are to be accused of not being deep because you're gifted to make the complex accessible. Another jab in the solar plexus is, well, lots of people agree with me on this jibe, or everyone is leaving the church said one permanently offended lady, sniffily. I asked who was evacuating. Loads of people, she said. Who, I asked. Two or three people are going, she insisted. Their names, I asked. I am leaving the church, she said. But the knockout punch is thrown when we have a fight and we insist that God is the one who agrees with us. He's on our side, in our corner, when we thoughtlessly lob phrases around like God has told me, God is with me, God agrees with me, or bizarrely, God likes the music that I like, we throw firebombs that usually turn a small spat into a world war. Before, we were having a rational discussion, but now, in disagreeing with our opinion, others are forced to imply that they don't think we've heard from God and that we may well be self-deceived. Dissenters become enemies, and calm conversation is rendered impossible. Sadly, too often Christian leaders are the ones who resort to this form of warfare. So, if we do have to fight, let's fight nicely. In this atmosphere of political rancor, disagreement, confusion, words thrown around without thought, let's model something different. With that in mind, I'd like to suggest a new practice when the church starts to feel like a driving range for golf. Sometimes we say, Amen, when we agree. So why not yell, For, when someone drives an unfair and dangerous verbal shot? That way, everyone will know that it's time to duck or quickly climb into a pair of armor-plated pants. We're thinking about disagreement. The gunman just stared at me, his eyes wide and an insane grin frozen on his face. 
Two seconds earlier, a bullet from his rifle had whistled across the breakfast table where Kay and I and our two young children were sitting. Now the room was clouded with the acrid cordite smoke that stains the air when a large bore weapon is fired inside a house. The bullet slammed into the ceiling above the table, showering us with plaster. We all immediately burst into tears, overwhelmed with shock and fear, our ears ringing from the deafening explosion. We looked around to see if our children were alive and still had all their limbs. They were unhurt, but the gunman wasn't finished yet. There was another bullet still to come. The day had begun so happily. We had been invited to the home of a minister friend, an Englishman who had relocated to Oregon. He loved every aspect of the backwoods rural culture, big hats, mammoth blueberry pancakes, and large guns. He'd even bought himself a three hundred eight rifle, a serious hunting gun that can kill huge animals and make mincemeat of humans. Eager to show off his dubious prize, he chose to demonstrate it while we enjoyed our bacon and eggs. Thinking that the barrel was empty and that the gun was safe, he cocked it and pulled the trigger. The bullet ricocheted off of a wood stove and whistled between our heads. The reverend assassin had ignored the most important truth about guns. Always assume that they're loaded. Guns aren't as fashionable or available in the UK as they are in America, thank God. Yet each one of us is in possession of a highly deadly weapon. It's called the tongue. Scripture warns us about its firepower, variously described as being like a poisonous dart, a viper's bite, a forest fire, a sharpened razor, and a sword, and that's not an exhaustive list. The tongue is an efficient little killing machine. With a so-called slip of the tongue, we can annihilate an innocent character with just one shot. It's a special temptation when we disagree. Sarcasm can blast a soul's confidence. A well-aimed jibe or so-called clever put-down can take someone out. Marriages are slowly annihilated by daily murmurs. And then there's the carnage that gossip creates. Strong churches have been shattered and too many vintage friendships destroyed by the machine gun effect of gossip. Careless whisperers place loaded weapons into the hands of any number of people, inviting them to pull the trigger whenever they please and then pass the smoking gun on. Your turn. Take a shot. Of course, the tongue can bless too. Words can bring healing, comfort and inspiration. I love you, that phrase has the sweetest sound. Stirring speeches end wars and launch wonderful revolutions. Martin Luther King announced that he had a dream and oppressed multitudes were galvanised into action. And yet even those who try to use the tongue to help, to bless, need to be cautious. To my horror, as a preacher... I've discovered that I can be quite a quick-on-the-draw gunfighter myself. I spend a lot of my life using words, both written and spoken. I love to craft a sentence and choose a phrase to communicate. But any gift that I might have can be used for evil as well as for good. In conflict, in disagreement, I can be dangerous. 
plucking a crucifying comment out of my armory, I can use words that sting and maim. Perhaps because the tongue is so dangerous, God placed it in a cage. And yet still the tongue forms an escape committee. The medieval scholar Estius said of the tongue, though nature has hedged it in with a double barrier of the lips and teeth, it bursts from its barriers to assail and ruin many. So, when we speak, especially when we disagree, let's think first. And, blunt though it sounds, if we're in doubt, let's be quiet. Mark Twain was right. A closed mouth gathers no foot. Let's watch our tongues and always assume that they're loaded. Meanwhile, back in Oregon, our gunman friend was not finished with his spree. Shamed and embarrassed by the fact that he very nearly killed or wounded his guests, he rushed into the bedroom, ejected the empty shell, and then, flustered, reloaded and fired the gun again, shooting a large hole in the carpet. His enraged wife threw him out of the house. He's since been allowed back in. But we don't have breakfast plans with them anytime soon. I've found Jesus from Delirious. Well, as we've been thinking about disagreement over the last two weeks here on Lucas on Life, I'm hoping and praying that if you find yourself in the cauldron of conflict right now, you may disagree. But again, may you be helped by the Holy Spirit to disagree agreeably. Don't forget, I'd love to hear from you if you have thoughts, comments, feedback, or suggestions for themes for the program. Email me at lucasonlife at premier.org.uk. See you again next week. Lucas on Life.